Hi there, my name is Pete. This is Social Distancer. Thanks for listening. This is episode 220. This is going to be a big episode because there has so much news happening. Uh, this is the rundown for the show, okay? First of all, India. We're going to look at India. Uh, also, we're going to talk about Cummings and the sausage and the sleaze and the toy party. I mean, you know, you could talk for hours about that. Another thing you could talk for hours about, and we're going to be covering this next week in detail, but we're going to be looking at Biden a little bit today as well. And also, my brother Phil has recorded some audio and sent it through about uh, the plight of children with special needs and how uh, during COVID times, a lot of schools have been falling far short of what's expected of them and, and often what's legally required of them as well. So we'll be looking at that as well. And also after the um, outro, we've got Paranormal Blip as well. So a packed show. But um, just briefly, I'm going to talk about the week that I've had. I've been at work. It's been a great week full of, you know, getting up and leaving the house and going to work and seeing people and having a good time. And uh, this time last week, I'm recording this on the Saturday. It's a late one this week, isn't it? Yes. But um, so last week I had my second jab and I was predicting that it would go pretty well, you know, and it did go very well. It was incredible, actually. In fact, I was like, we've learned again that democracy is precious. Democracy is fragile. And at this hour, my friends, democracy has prevailed. Yeah. And I was like, I've got the, uh, you know what I was like? I was like, let's do this live. Let's do it live. I was like. Oh, yeah, and uh, you guess what else I was like? I was like this. <laughs> and also, I was like... That you can't beat the Macho Man Randy Savage and you know Hulk Hogan... Yeah, if he wants to keep an eye on me, don't look behind you, Hulk Hogan. No, don't look in front. Don't look to the sides. Look straight up, because I'm right on top of you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Metro Man Randy Savage. And I was like... I'm Peter Jennings in New York just a short while ago. Astonishing news from East Germany, where the East German authorities have said, in essence, that the Berlin Wall doesn't mean anything anymore. Motherfucker. Imagine that. Hey, oh, yeah. And I was like... Oh, what was this one? Oh, this was... Yeah, no, it wasn't this. Reminded someone like that of that though there, and also I was like, And after the old jab, I was feeling a little bit like. <laughs> yeah, and I was like. Yeah, 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 and also I was like... <laughs> And of course, inevitably, I was like, Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. 
like. And of course, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm always a bit like... is looking good in that whoa yeah looking hot and of course inevitably after the outro what do you get yeah 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 and i was like also also i was like To, this is how I felt, really. This is really how I felt. I mean, all of those things, but massive, massively, massively is massive a word? No, but this is. Give that to the drunks in the park. They'll vary it. I'm vary it. Would vary who the singer is. Yeah. Well, you can join in on our band, man. If you're just learning how like original people. I'll be the singer. Just me and... I'm a singer as well, but So the situation in India is, like, unbelievable, unbearable. And I'm going to play a clip from a news media uh, organization based in India called uh, Mojo Story. And this is a clip that was shared on Twitter by Krishnan Guru Murthy, the um, Channel 4 uh, journalist, the Channel 4 news presenter. And in this clip, uh, one of the, this is a virologist that's being interviewed, okay? And he talks about how the, the there's a, a, essentially the name of the video is Top Virologist Breaks Down, says data is skewed and fake, India has lost the plot. And so this is Dr. Shahid Jamil in conversation with uh, Barkha Dutt, who's the main news reporter and the person that's set up. Um, uh, Mojo's story. So, you know, the situation uh, as I speak on Saturday in India is is like it's unbelievable. Like, so this is a kind of news story on the BBC that went up a couple of hours ago. Indian hospitals say their patients are dying because of a shortage of oxygen as COVID case numbers and deaths set new records for a third day running. India has recorded nearly a million infections in three days. 
with 346,786 new cases overnight into Saturday. So be aware there that that's, you know, the reports, the kind of official numbers of the positive COVID cases. But bear that in mind when you listen to this virologist who's, you know, kind of like on the ground in India living around people that are dying. And he talks about, uh, you know, kind of how it's affected his family. Um, And then he says this. You said the data is skewed. It's totally skewed. Could you could you give us a sense of where and how and why you think so? I have another friend who is visiting Lucknow to be with his mother because he just lost his father early this week. He called me up and said he is getting his mother tested. And the guy who came to test him, his mother, said that he's allowed to conduct only 10 tests in a day. Beyond that, he's asked to fudge numbers. Now you can you can imagine, I mean, if you look at if you look at the test positivity rate of India today, the test positivity rate is roughly 17%. I think it's much more than the new infection rate is rising than the uh, test positivity. That simply tells you that enough good data is just not coming through. It's all being manipulated. It's all being managed. So you're you're saying, Shahid, before I go to Dr. Veluwani, that it isn't just incompetence. You see, for the deaths, they try to tell us that there death registration. Someone has not registered their deaths. They've not got the death certificate. Maybe that's why the gap between the official numbers and what you're seeing at the cremation grounds. You believe, Dr. Shahid Jamil, that the data is actually being fudged. Big time. So there we are. It's being manipulated. It's being managed. The data is being fudged. And the you know cremation sites, the um, funeral pyres, are, you know, people are dying in um, in the car parks of the hospitals. People, there's no oxygen in the hospitals. You know, the hospitals are running out of oxygen. And of course, in in such a situation, it's easy politically to uh, you know kind of try to keep a lid on the out-of-control situation. Of course, we know that, um, you know, election campaigning has been happening and the psychopath that runs India at the moment, Modi, he hasn't been, um, you know, kind of telling people to take these safeguards and, you know, the kind of obvious safeguards that you need to take during a pandemic. So it's absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, it, you know, to the point where it's very difficult for me to uh, engage with it because there's just so much death. I mean, it's yeah. So you know, hopefully, it's 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 going to be a long time. Like they're going to go through an awful lot of pain, unfortunately, and a lot of death. Like clearly, um, you know, weeks and weeks before, in the best case scenario, even if you know. Uh, countries um, bring in ventilators, countries bring in oxygen, even in the best case scenario, um, it's going to take weeks and weeks and weeks for this death rate to start to decline. Sausage Johnson has been at it again. And he personally spoke to the editors of newspapers um, yesterday. Yeah, was it yesterday or the day before, maybe? On Thursday, I think it was, actually. Um, saying that Dominic Cummings was the person that leaked the text messages uh, between Sausage Johnson and this guy called Dyson, who is this fucking Tory prick that makes Hoovers, but they're not called Hoovers, they're called Dysons, because he's called Dyson. And this uh, Dicey Dyson character was saying, oh yeah, let's uh, sort out the tax, will you, pal? You just have, happens to be the Prime Minister. Fix it for me, will you? And um, 
what's his name, Sausage Johnson said, yeah, yeah, that's fine, I'll fix it, and he did fix it. Some tax arrangements for um, his employees. And so, you know, another fantastic example of cronyism. Now, I've got to remind you of my little crony. I'll put a link to my little crony in the, uh, you know, episode description of this episode, because it really is a brilliant piece of work, last updated a couple of days ago. And um, Sophie E. Hill is a PhD student um, in government. My research interests lie at the intersection of political economy and political behaviour. Oh, well said. <laughs> and she has, and we mentioned it in the past on this on this show, she has uh, linked together, she's created essentially a web of the connections between um, government, uh, business, and, you know, like other kind of influential, influential people. And, you know, it's all in there. It's all uh, kind of connected. And it's brilliantly done. A, a visualisation of the connections between Tory politicians and companies being awarded government contracts during the pandemic based on a wide range of investigative reporting. So I'll link to my little crony and my, and she's uh, going to have to do an update because it's been a bumper week. Last week we were talking about Cameron. Well, I mean, you know, Cameron is kind of still there, if you like, but it's been superseded by the, the Dyson texts. And then fucking Sausage thought, oh, that's uh, Dominic Cummings. But remember, it's unbelievable. Dominic Cummings, he, how many deaths because he didn't sack Cummings after... Barnard Castle. I mean, you will never know, obviously. But what that did for public confidence and the, just the idea of, oh, well, you know, if he can get away with it, then why can't I get away with it? You know, fuck wearing a mask, fuck uh, social distancing, you know, fuck washing my hands, fuck not seeing my nan, you know? I mean, I expect that there are literally hundreds of deaths uh, that can be attributed to the fact that Sausage Johnson, because he's a, you know, weak source, um, didn't have the fucking gumption to sack this prick. And then, of course, because it's like, you know, he's explosive, he left in November anyway, uh, it doesn't seem as if they parted on good grounds because Johnson was phoning himself. Like, it's unbelievable that the Prime Minister himself is phoning up. We know this because of... um, who is it that told us? Oh, yeah, the, the guy that looks like Terry Jones on Sky News. Sam Coates. I think that's his name, yeah. Sam Coates has told us on Sky News that um, the sausage himself was phoning up editors saying, it's Cummings. Cummings has leaked this bloody Dyson story, the bastard. And then Cummings, yesterday on Friday, wrote a scathing blog post <laughs> basically saying that the guy is foolish that he's uh, that Sausage Johnson is. He tried to block an inquiry into the leak of um, when the second lockdown was going to be, because it involved a friend of his fiance. Uh, he denied leaking the text messages, um, and also he claimed the prime minister once had a possibly illegal plan for donors to pay for renovations to the Downing Street flat, and that guy. I mean, it's unbelievable, the guy who, uh, uh, you know, kind of says, uh, I, I went to Barnard Castle to test my eyesight. He's now unbelievably saying that the um, Prime Minister doesn't have the competence and the integrity that the British people expect. <laughs> cool, you know you've fucking, like, really... Um, gone low like you know you've dropped really right to the bottom when Dominic Cummings can tell you off anyway is Starmer getting in on the act right let's see what he says I haven't heard this yet we'll hear it live together it matters because um, it's about integrity and it's about taxpayers money you've got the former most senior advisor to the Prime Minister saying he's fallen way below the standards of integrity that are needed for the office of Prime Minister You've got the former minister, Dominic Grieve, saying there's a vacuum of integrity. And every day there's more evidence of this sleaze. And frankly, it stinks. Frankly, it stinks, lovely. And Nicola Sturgeon 
says the stench of sleaze around the Tory, the Tory government is now overpowering. And um, your man Starmer then talked about Dominic Cummings, who's the uh, former um, Attorney General, right? And I, I spoke about at the time, but I, I'm really surprised that there wasn't... I mean, it's not that surprising, actually, thinking about, you know, who owns the bloody newspapers in the UK. But it's incredible that they can... The Tory party can get rid of, you know, Dominic Cummings, fucking Ken Clark, loads and loads of other people who are, like, proper Tories. You know what I mean? Like, Tory, Tory, Tory. But they're not these kind of, like, Brexit madmen. <laughs> and um, they just get rid of a whole bunch of them and essentially kind of nothing happens like it's incredible imagine if that had happened in uh the labor party like you're still fucking here there'd be a story a week if that had happened in the labor party imagine if fucking who's that bearded guy not santa corbyn imagine if corbyn just like axed 30 um center left um labor uh, like you know m- former ministers just chucked him out of the party you wouldn't hear the fucking end of it but Dominic Cummings and um, you know Ken Clark and a whole bunch of the others they uh, get axed they get chucked out and uh, it's like oh it never fucking you know it doesn't fucking matter anyway here's old um, not Dominic Cummings there's too many Dominics in this story Dominic Grieve here's the Grievester here's the Grievester Well, I'd be interested to know exactly uh, what the trail of the payments and what's happened since has been. One stage a few months ago, we were hearing how a trust was going to be set up, a wonderful heritage trust that was going to miraculously pay for this flat. My impression is that there's been a constant wriggling about uh, the source of the money uh, for this refurbishment and that's just one illustration of the chaos that Mr Johnson seems to bring in his wake and the reason for that is because he is a vacuum of integrity and this has been apparent for a very long time vacuum of integrity that's nice isn't it yeah (laughs) V-O-I And if you have somebody who's a vacuum of integrity, you're going to get this sort of story coming up over and over again. Sounds like a Tory, doesn't it? I suppose some people may say it doesn't matter. But I think in the context of trying to ensure good governance and people's faith in democratic institutions, it's really an extraordinary way to conduct oneself. Um, But what it suggests is that, in fact, this is a cronyistic cabal. One moment they're best of friends and Mr Johnson has his arm round their shoulder, and the next moment they're all falling out. And in a professionally run government, it shouldn't be happening, or certainly not happening, with the frequency with which it appears to be taking place. One moment. This is the uh, edited highlights, by the way. They've uh, edited Nick Robinson out of this. Yeah, Nick Robinson was asking him questions, and these are the edited highlights, and these, these are the answers. Uh, Cronyistic uh, cabal, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, my little crony. They're best of buddies. Next moment, they're sworn enemies. And meanwhile, you have to ask yourself, what's happening to good, sound government decisions? And this isn't isolated because the rumours run around at the same time that the government has been partial in the placing of contracts over COVID in an emergency and given it to its friends. There are suggestions that ministers have facilitated planning applications uh, because it is people who are donors to a political party. None of these things are ethically acceptable because it does in fact generate an atmosphere of suspicion chaotic government and a sense that ultimately uh, people are in it for self-advantage ultimately what worries me is I was a member of the Conservative I've been a member of the Conservative Party for over 44 years I think and I look at a political party which seems to me to be spiralling into something significantly different in terms of its integrity from anything I can ever remember. That's no, good, I, isn't I, it? You... That's good, isn't it? Yeah, uh, spiralling into something significantly different in terms of its integrity from anything I can ever remember. And he talks about partial, um, <clears throat> you know, partiality when it comes to... Uh, giving out the old contracts, the boom, you, the, the, you know, never make, uh, n- never fail to make the most of a crisis. That's what they say in government, isn't it? Yeah. And 
you know, the boom of money to be made when you can uh, justify, uh, you know, just like spending all the money on something, just make sure that all the money goes to your mates. Like, of course, spend, make sure that the money goes to your friends and to the friends of, uh, and, and to your family as well. So Matt Hancock's sister, what a fucking surprise, owns shares in an NHS approved firm. Um, so let's take a look at this. And um, he also got a sixth of the share, one sixth of the shares of the company were given to um, Hattie Mancock himself. I mean, that is unbelievable. This is the health secretary was given shares by his sister that owns the company, shares in a in a um, in a company that has got contracts with the NHS. Health Secretary, Health Secretary Hancock received shares in a family firm that went on to win a lucrative health service contract. It has emerged. Official records show the document shredding company Topwood Limited, of Wrexham, <laughs> document shredding company. Sorry was awarded a three-year, 150,000 contract from NHS Wales for confidentials, for confidential, um, confidential benchel. I mean, it's just extraordinary, you know, it just goes on and on and on. Anyway, my little crony in the uh, episode description, if you want to read more and more, but I think that the, the good thing about this story now, I said last week that it needs something to keep it going. And I didn't, ex- I mean, nobody expects Cummings, you know, he's like the fucking Spanish Inquisition. But Cummings is exactly that. Cumming- There's a reason why Sausage Johnson picks up the phone himself. He's not going to do that for any, like, normal human being special advisor, yeah? There's a reason why he stuck on with Cummings, stuck to Cummings. And there's the a reason now that they've fallen out, he's phoning up the, he's picking up the phone to the editors, trying to slag Cummings off. And Cummings, of course, has got nothing to prove uh, to um, to lose. Cummings is out of government. He fucking doesn't like him much. He really doesn't like a couple of the people in the government. And he's giving uh, evidence to MPs at the end of uh, May, around about a month's time. But I wouldn't be surprised if he says something before then. He said that he's willing to hand over all of his, like everything, all documentation that he has uh, to any. Um, inquiry that's been that, that that's set up so there is a you know if i was starmer i would like do a like you know on monday 10 a.m do a speech about integrity do a speech about tory he's got nothing to lose he's 14 points uh below he's like 29 percent and fucking that prick is on 43%. It's unbelievable. I know it's the vaccine bump, but it's a bit of a fucking bump, isn't it? Yeah. So if I was Starmer, I, w- I would say, right, this is what I would do if I was in government. I would put massive amounts of money into setting up a proper transparency organisation with teeth. So you have, if you break the rules, then you can't fucking act like we've been acting for years and years and years and years. And I would say Tony Blair fucked up and he continues to fuck up. Like Tony Blair, as we all fucking know, he'll take money from any motherfucker. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter if you're an authoritarian regime, doesn't, who gives a fuck, you know? So he, Starmer, uh, he's never going to do this. Of course he's never going to do this. But you would like, and, and therefore, you know, he's just going to be fucking languishing in, you know, around about 30, no matter what he fucking does, unfortunately, unless he gets his shit together, you know? But this is a golden opportunity for somebody that isn't scared to say, we need to turn the fucking page, right? And we have fucked up in the past, okay? It's it's very easy. It's not just an open door or a revolving door. It's, like, utterly connected, like, totally connected, uh, like, transparency. Like, Like, there's nothing close to transparency in any of the relationship between government and business for decade after decade after decade yeah and you know Saucy Johnson's a bit slow on the old uptake um and maybe he's pissed too many people off but of course he's got away with it it's to the tune of billions you know and like so far 
in this uh, in this pandemic. He's only been in power for a couple of years, you know, so he's actually been incredibly successful for for his friends and for his family members and for anyone that knows that motherfucker. They are a scene of sunshine. No, not pork. Sunshine. I didn't say pork. I know you've seen pork. Is that sunshine? My brother Phil was kind enough to send some uh, audio through describing the year that he's had, um, which has been a difficult year in relation to the support that he's got from his children's school. His children have got special educational needs and they've both got EHCPs, which is a, a form, education healthcare plan, which is essentially a kind of uh, a, um, category for children with, you know, particular difficulties or disabilities, which means that by law, the school needs to support them. And my brother will talk about this, you know, himself in relation to his case, but he isn't a one-off. In fact, there was a report a couple of months ago um, in, in The Guardian that I'm going to quote from, um, survey conducted by Special Needs Jungle, a parent-led campaign group, found therapies normally delivered by NHS staff, including speech and language therapy and occupational therapy, were particularly badly affected, with many still not back in place last term. Um, last term in this case being, uh, you know, the, um, the spring term, because uh, we're now in the summer term after Easter. Almost two-thirds of parents of pupils with EHCPs reported that their child's additional provision had not been fully restored, while fewer than one in five confirmed that all provision had been fully restored. Now, we're not talking about additional provisions here. We're talking about the fact that the school essentially, um, you know, said we cannot, we don't have the capacity, we don't have the resources or the uh, staff to take care of your children at school, which is totally in breach of their legal duties. Um, given that schools, so this is back into the article, given that schools have been allocated funding to carry out these interventions and there's an absolute legal duty for local authorities to ensure the provision of EHCPs is delivered, we believe the failure in delivering it should be investigated at a national level. And of course, that doesn't happen when you've got Sausage Johnson as your Prime Minister at all. Like, you know, nobody gives a fuck, basically. It is a forgotten... I mean, you know, people with um, special educational needs at the best of times, you know, when there's loads of money and there isn't a fucking pandemic happening, are forgotten anyway. So when there's no money and there is a pandemic... Obviously, it's really easy to not just ignore them and forget them, but just to, you know, nothing happens. Like, it's unbelievable, nothing happens. So it's a real kind of underreported crisis that's happening to, you know, to hundreds of thousands of families in, in Britain and, you know, around the world as well. So here's my brother's audio. to do a review of the last year um, which we can safely title a year in hell I have uh, adopted four children all with a variety of additional needs and we went into lockdown in March um, meaning all our children were at home and um, because of all the lockdown and everything we didn't couldn't get anyone to come and support us or anything and we had no idea what we we're doing and to start off with it was incredibly difficult trying to set up a new routine for them all um, and we had to um, find places to take them because we couldn't just keep them in all day even though that's what everyone was supposed to do um, but we've got a routine going where we would do some stuff in the house, painting and activities in the morning and then um, 
finds places to take them out in the afternoon. We managed to um, get some advice from the police to give us extenuating circumstances because of the needs of our children needing to get out and about. And um, we had a an area that we know of um, that was given us um, advice um, and permission from um, these, these people we know to uh, not well it's about an hour's drive from us that we could use their land which was quite secure which was um, lifesaver really so we went, literally went there every day for about two months in the afternoons which wasn't great because obviously it was boring for the kids but you know it was that or or nothing so we, we managed to do that um, for the first couple of months and then um, eventually we managed to get our boys back they go to a special needs school and they managed to get them the last two weeks of school they had a few days of school in the last two weeks of term um, so it was a, a little bit of respite but it was very full on very intense very very exhausting um, and then over the summer it wasn't too bad because we had PA support which is um, someone who comes in and helps look after the kids with us so that managed to made us help us give us some respite which was helpful and then we got into a bit of a routine over the summer um, and obviously with the weather and stuff um, became a little bit easier and then things were opening up again and then um, we were, had more options of places to go so the summer actually wasn't too bad and um, we managed to get through the summer quite well and then into September went back to school so that was nice a bit of normality um, and at some point there was another lockdown so that didn't help um, and then we had these bubbles where the kids were in bubbles at schools and then uh, the, the, our boys um, we asked the school to put them in the same bubble um, which they refused to do and so when anyone in their bubble got um, a positive um, thing for Covid then not only did their bubble have to close down, but obviously the brother's bubble had to close down because they lived together. So we kept saying to the school, can you put them in the same bubble so then both bubbles don't have to close down every time someone in their bubble uh, gets a positive thing for the, for the virus. And um, they didn't do that, which wasn't very helpful. So every other week, they kept having to come back home for the 10 days isolation period or whatever it was, 14 days they go back again and then a week later they do it again so from September to um, about sort of mid-November I think it was they were in and out of school um, so again completely irregular routines and because of our boys needs they need a regular routine they need to know what's going on who they're with where they're going uh, which was very difficult because we couldn't do that it was, because it was all over the place all the time um, December wasn't too bad and obviously they were excited about going um, having Christmas and things like that so um, and then we're all ready to start again in January and then the day before they went back on eight o'clock I told the schools were closing again so <laughs> just start all over again it's a nightmare and then um, thankfully our daughter had um, their school was a lot more supportive and she was given a full-time place so um, that was really helpful so she could have full-time place we had a newly adopted one at home so she obviously was at home um, and so we were just trying to work out how to support the boys best we can and um, they uh, in January they were, they were given two days a week um, in the middle of the week which we were trying to explain to the school, you know, because of the routine, everything's happened, how that, why they need full time, but they refused. And um, for a special needs school, you'd think they'd understand children with special needs, but um, they were base, they weren't basing school placements on the needs of the children, ba ba basing it on 
work patterns, which didn't help anyone really. Um, so it's been an incredible struggle and we've had all sorts of incidents over the year, smashed in walls, daily tantrums, broken TVs, and that's mainly just from the wife. Yeah, imagine that, what it's like with the kids. So um, <laughs> really, really hard work. Obviously being intense, you know, with the four children with additional needs, it's taken a toll on them. My wife and I relationship, but we've kind of just about struggled through. Um, hopefully it will soon um, be coming to an end and the schools will go back full time. And, that, and then if we can get the boys in full time, then that, they'll be fine because they have their routine at school and we have the routine of the weekends. We have the routine on holidays. So if they have the routine and they know what's going on, they know who we're with, they know what they'll be doing, they're normally, you know, generally okay. The up and down of being, not knowing when they're in and when they're off and, you know, very week to week, um, that's what they can't cope with and it's been really difficult. And um, so we're just coming at the end of half term here and they are going back to school next week. They've now been given a Monday, Wednesday and Thursday. So we're not sure if this is going to be a good thing or make it even worse because they've still got an irregular week. You know, we obviously do all the sort of visuals and visual timetables and um, have loads of very strategies and things, but even so, it's still very, very difficult for them to understand what's going on why they can't be at school especially when they see their sister go to school every day when they can't go to school so they find that very difficult um home learning is literally null and void because um they one they don't associate home with schoolwork uh, they associate school with schoolwork and two just trying to cope with getting through the day is enough for them and exhausting enough for us and never mind trying to get them to learn different things and the school have been very incredibly unsupportive and they, all they do is you know send send us worksheets you know which is a waste of time anyway so um we've just been trying to get through best we can uh hopefully um we'll soon get them back full time hopefully within the next couple of weeks we're waiting for the uh, there's an announcement I think Monday and we'll be hopefully find out when the schools go back and that's basically where we stand with everything is getting a regular routine get them school getting the boys into school full time and then we can have a regular home life but obviously this has been an incredible struggle um, we're still all together and healthy and that's the main thing but it's been very very difficult um my wife and i are both carers but we still haven't we haven't had the um vaccination yet so we're still waiting for that as well so um hopefully soon we can um get the boys in full time get vaccinated and hopefully you know after well hopefully by easter after easter we'll have a bit more normality um, but that's how we, that's how our life has been since March. Uh, hopefully, the worst is behind us, and hopefully, we're going to get a few easier days from now on. Um, but we found throughout all of this how little support people are prepared to give for you, which is quite astounding, really, when you. You know, think of the setup of our family. You know, the school are unwilling to give the boys full-time school. We ask other agencies, and they all of them have said that because the support you're asking for lands on a school day, it's the responsibility of the school to provide that support. So we asked for the school for the support and explained this to them, and they said, well, because of the situation, we can only give you two days. And they don't. They've done nothing to support us on the other days that they're not at school. 
So various complaints have gone in to various people. Um, but, um, you know, after all of the, you know, six months of trying to find people to support us and complaints and everything else, we've got one extra day. So um, not great, but hopefully the announcement on Monday might come back and say that the schools will be opening soon and then I'll be back at school and then hopefully it'll be get a lot better um yeah so that's kind of uh our year up to today okay I hope everyone's had, had a better time of it than us but then you know we've not known other people who have um you know, died from the virus and stuff. So, the, you know, there's always someone worse off, isn't there? So um, hopefully, uh, you know, there's always going to be someone better off than us, someone worse off than us. So we're going to just be grateful for what we got and do the best we can. All right, thanks very much. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much, Phil, for sending that through. And thank you to everybody that contributed in that short series of voices around the world uh, Emily in uh, Japan, Catherine in Ireland, uh, Joanna in Scotland, um, Noel in New York, which is in the United States, isn't it? Yes. And Phil, who lives in England. Thank you. So next Thursday... Uh, President Biden will have been in office for 100 days and I just want to briefly set the groundwork for a longer discussion about that next week. Um, So it's been extraordinary, you know, whatever it is, 95 days so far, I can't do the maths. Um, He's passed an awful lot of stuff. I think one of the main uh, areas where he hasn't uh, achieved his ambition is in uh, the immigration and the number of people coming over the southern border and the problems with taking care of the people that do come over the southern border. I think that that kind of caught them on on the jump, which it wasn't surprising really that after Trump people would um, try to come into the United States and um, you know a couple of good good few weeks ago about a month ago there were reporters uh, speaking to people that were crossing into the United States and those folks were saying well you know um, Biden isn't a psychopath so we kind of feel like we're going to get a bit of a better deal if we do this now um, so they kind of have you know not kind of not really got their shit together in terms of taking care of those people as quick as they really should have done. But apart from that, and I think that generally that is kind of considered really the only area where they could have improved upon. And, you know, elsewhere, including this week has been a big week in terms of Biden. Um, Over 200 million um, vaccinations given, which is incredible. You know, he had a plan to begin with of uh, over 100 million. And when he announced that, it's that seemed ambitious. You know, the idea that over 200 million vaccinations have been given uh, is just incredible, you know. Um, proper, actual, you know, um, movement on climate and reducing the reductions uh, by a huge amount, which is good. It still needs to be done, but it can be done and it takes political will to do it. And I think that he is more and more realising that he's a transition president into a kind of, you know, out out of what the United States still is in lots of regards, represented by Trump and towards a progressive you know, country, essentially. And he also has learnt the uh, mistake that it took fucking Barack Obama, who I, you know, anyone who knows me, knows that I saw Barack Obama's uh, first speech that he gave at the DNC in 2004 when uh, John Kerry was the candidate. I saw that live and I've followed him ever since then. And I'm a massive fan of Barack Obama. 
But, um, you know, Biden, who's obviously Obama's uh, vice president, has learned the lessons of the Obama presidency, which is you can't give the Republicans an inch. Don't expect them to help. In fact, expect them to get in your fucking way. And so you have to rule as if they're just going to get in your way because they are going to get in their way. And thank fuck that they got um, Georgia over the line and that with... um, Vice President Kamala Harris, they can pass things in the Senate, and at the moment they've got the House, it may be that the House falls um, next year. Maybe you know. So, so it looks like you know there's a lot of negotiation. Obviously, whatever comes up, whatever bill is um, proposed, there's lots of negotiation. On one side, you've got Joe Manchin, Manchin, whatever his name is, who's a kind of centre-left. Uh, dude who, uh, you know, because he's, um, you know, part of the Democratic uh, Party and you need all of your 50 senators to vote with you, he's got a lot of power and he's wielding that power quite successfully. But on the other side, I've got you, of course, you've got Sanders. And so, you know, Sanders is in a position of power as well. We know that the progressives are in a good place in this um, administration, with this administration. This administration is listening to progressive ideas and, in fact, adopting progressive ideas. You know, we can just see this with the climate change proposals uh, this week. Um, And also the COVID relief bill was a massive amount of money. I mean, trillions. The infrastructure bill as well, like, you know, trillions. It might not come in at two trillion, but it will probably come in above one trillion. And it might be that Joe Manchin or whatever the fuck his name is, does get a couple of things that, you know, not everyone in the Democratic Party um, is is happy with. But at the same time, you know, it's it, you do have to kind of maybe compromise because it's, it's better to compromise and get, you know, one billion uh, worth of infrastructure spending than nothing. And it'd probably be more than one billion. So this is a, a sorry, trillion, trillion we're talking, not billion, trillion. So this is a massive amount of money. And then we've got the family plan as well, which is coming down the road as well. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, I'm going to talk about this in detail next week. But I just wanted to uh, mark the occasion, really, of the 200 uh, million doses and those climate proposals, which are ambitious and that you need you know, US leadership, obviously. And, you know, he had his two-day summit this week as well, uh, uh, coinciding with Earth Day, which was on Thursday. So Thursday and Friday this week, a summit where, you know, Xi in China and uh, Putin in Russia and, you know, Merkel, fucking Boris Johnson with his unbelievably embarrassing bullshit. I mean, it's like, it's so embarrassing. Um, you know, but everyone turns up because, of course, he's the president of the United States. You know what I mean? And so we'll see what happens in Glasgow. And, you know, we'll see if I'm still doing the podcast in Glas- in, uh, in Glasgow. In, um, when's that, November? Maybe I am, maybe I won't. Who knows? So, I mean, what's going to happen with COVID? Seems a bit strange. Maybe it'll just be a, a paranormal blip podcast then. And the blip is the uh, everything else blip. Is the everything else blip at that point? But I'll call it paranormal blip, though, still. Has anyone got the blip thing? Anyway, I'm not talking about Biden anymore. See ya! (laughs) Episode 220. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend if it is the weekend. And it may be the weekend. Yes. And we're going to think of the Siberian hamster in memory of Andrew Sachs, who I was thinking about this week. Uh, whose um, namesake I went to school with, almost, yeah, almost. And um, Andrew Sachs, a uh, revered comedy actor, was nearly as uh, funny as my schoolmate, but not quite, no. Uh, nobody is, apart from one person, who's equally as funny, but um, the less said about that, the better. Right, anyway, I better get on with it. Um, yeah, Siberian Amazon, one, two, three. What we're in the way, but take care, wear masks, social distance, all that shit. Um, <laughs> see you later. Oh no, I've got loads of time. Right, I don't know why I'm panicking. God almighty, breathe. Breathe. See you later. <laughs>
That music can only mean that this is Paranormal Blip and today we're going to be taking a look at an interview that Lou Alexander gave to a number of um, news outlets including, it's more like a press conference really, a one person press conference including the New York Times and various other high flyers. Um, first of all though, just a, the um, pyramids that uh, Jeremy Corbell released a couple of weeks ago that I covered a couple of weeks ago um, uh, filmed by the Navy, the US Navy, that's still getting traction. It's still making news, you know, it's uh, popping up left, right and centre, the Guardian, the Telegraph, uh, you know, various other um, bloody news organisations all around the world. And even Film Junk, the, the probably the best podcast that's ever been made. I don't know if you're interested in films, but if you are, listen to Film Junk. It's outstanding, and I've listened to it for, God, well, every... I've listened back on every episode. I've listened to it for years. Um, and even, so, you know, they have nothing to do with like, aliens at all. But they were in, they were doing a kind of rewatch of this famous alien abduction film called Communion. Do you remember that one with Christopher Walken? And um, they had a kind of brief discussion about UFOs beforehand, and the pyramid UFO uh, footage came up in that discussion, and they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. I love those guys, but they don't know what they're talking about. A fucking Jay on that podcast talking about Boca. It's not fucking Boca, man. Like, you'd think that the US Navy, before submitting as evidence to their superiors footage of an unidentified aerial phenomena, or unidentified flying object, as we used to call it, um, they'd probably think they'd probably have the wherewithal to realize, oh, yeah, that's just like the lens um, refracting, which is bokeh, this fucking ridiculous uh, theory that, oh, no, it's not anything flying at all. It's just like the lens refracting off like lights uh, off the lens. Well, it's not that, you motherfuckers. Like, you, you know, have a bit of faith in the US Navy, who I've been a massive supporter of. Anyway. Listen, film junk, that's a good advert for those guys. But interestingly, in, the, in my, um, you know, kind of looking at this area as I'm doing every day now, because I'm well into it, um, the uh, subject of uh, UAPs having the ability to turn off and on nuclear weapons facilities somebody i can't remember who but some like you know kind of trusted person in this world spoke about how it may be or maybe it was lou actually i can't remember but um lou alexander maybe it was him but it might be that the, oh yes it is him it is lou alexander he says that it might be a kind of um almost like a feedback like a or almost like an accidental byproduct of the technology yeah so you know if you put a a microphone near an amp you get feedback it's not that the microphone is intentionally wanting to make the feedback noise or the amp is like there's no intention there it's just a kind of accidental byproduct of the technology so he is like uh, speculating here he doesn't know i don't think he knows lou elizondo but he's speculating that it might not be that they are threatening us or might not be that they are trying to kind of give us a kind of sign that we need to disarm or whatever or kind of you know stop making nuclear weapons it might just be a uh, almost like a kind of byproduct of the technology that they use now of course there's a reason like you know, there's a question to ask about why are they flying around nuclear weapons facilities in the first place you know what what makes it a kind of place where they're drawn that's a good question isn't it um anyway here's lou he's talking about a the the uh, necessity as he sees it that we that we investigate these things because there is a potential uh threat because we don't know what they are right there's a potential threat so this is how he puts it 
most people you ask would probably say not that we expect anything bad to happen but just as a matter of, of recourse we, we usually lock our front doors you might even check the the windows from time to time and turn on your alarm system before you go to bed let's say one morning um you come downstairs to have a, a nice hot cup of tea or coffee and all of a sudden as you're walking downstairs there's muddy boot prints in your living room carpet uh now no one's been hurt nothing's out of place nothing's been disturbed but despite you locking the doors and the windows and turning on the alarm the night before there are muddy boot prints in your living room that weren't there the night before now the question is is that a threat and my response to you is that it could be if it wanted to be so we probably should figure it out and i think this is the same approach that that our our senior people in the executive branch and legislative branch are taking now with that said um that's not necessarily everybody there are some pockets some elements within the executive branch particularly that are very resistant to this topic uh and unfortunately were 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 one of the reasons why it's such a difficult time when i when i first left the department um they were not happy about having this conversation um they felt that it made them look inept they felt in some cases that it challenged their philosophical and theological belief systems what he means by uh, by that by the way what he means by that by the way is that people in government in the US government literally were saying don't look into this because it is de- demonic demonic there are demons out there and we would rather not that the US government look into this because we believe in demons and it is demonic isn't that fucking mad anyway there's louis and that wraps up a quite a long uh, episode so thank you ever so much for listening and take care see you later bye see you later <laughs>